Kathy for leading us in prayers this morning. Having been away last weekend, um, and as always, we, we missed our missed our church. Um, it was great to be um, to be at a wedding and celebrating there, and it was great to preach at a different church last week. But um, but it's it's nice to be back. But I'm away again next weekend, and um, I know it's terrible, isn't it? But um, uh, and so this service kind of it, it fell in in the middle in a gap, and. Um, uh, I thought, oh, how brilliant! We can have a dedication, and we can we can we can celebrate celebrate a dedication service together. But the way that the service fell, we're not in the middle of a series or anything like that. And I thought, well, I don't want to start a new series, and then suddenly next week have a have a gap. And so, as I was praying in preparation for the dedication. It just came to me that we don't talk about dedication very often. We don't talk about what it means for us. And so. This morning, we're going to do that. We're going to just consider what Scripture says to us about the importance of making church family not just something we talk about, but a reality, a reality that we live out. In this slide, um, anybody know what that's a picture of? Yeah, that's because I told you, Lynn. <laughs> Okay, so this is um, the, on the, the, not, the, um, not the, the small picture, but the, the main picture is a picture of a, a tree, a bit of wood, with um, moss and fungus growing on it. And the fungus growing on it, um, don't ask me for the Latin botanical name, but um, most people know it, well, I know it, as um, King Alfred's Cakes. And it's this black, ugly-looking fungus that just grows there. But actually, it's a really, really important fungus. Because if you... Um, it's, not, it's not sort of protected or anything, so I'm not going to tell you to go and break the law. Um, if you sort of ease it off um, and scrape off the, um, the, the exposed underside that's been on a tree, if you scrape off the top sort of layer of, of protection, I suppose, it reveals these concentric circles. And it's quite a pretty pattern, but it is still a fungus after all. But it's got an incredible property. If you take a flint and steel and you just strike a spark onto it, one spark will sit on the surface of this fungus and it will glow. And it won't go out. Unless you douse it in water or stamp on it or, or starve it of oxygen somehow, it will just sit there and glow and smoulder. And the reason I'm saying that is because if you, if you then blow it, as you can see the, uh, the inset picture there, if you then blow it, it suddenly it glows bright red. It gets incredibly hot. And if you hold that next to some, some dry grass or something like that, before you know it, you've got flames, you've got fire. And this fungus has been used for generation after generation. It's traced right back to, to sort of prehistoric times. Um, it was used as a way of, of taking fire. They would take one of these, one of these little clumps of, of this fungus, they'd have a spark on it, and they'd wrap it in a leaf, and they'd suspend it on the end of a, a stick or something, and they would carry it. And they would take fire from one campsite, and then if they went off hunting or travelling or moving on, the next campsite they got to, they'd have fire with them. And so they'd gather some fuel and the fire would be reignited. But that same fire could be carried for, for months at a time because fire was such an important commodity. And these 
funguses were really real fungi, sorry. These fungi, well, they were really, really important. And if you do any sort of um, bushcraft course or anything like that, then often these things are, are used and talked about. You see, they were a way of passing on the fire, keeping the fire alive. And fire wasn't something that was taken for granted. It was something which was precious, something which was nurtured, something which you didn't extinguish it. Once you had a fire going, you made sure that you had a way of keeping that fire alive. The Bible says that we should be similar in our approach to our faith. Now, when I came to faith in my early 20s, I remember in a church meeting, um, someone has had a special birthday and a comment was made about them getting old and they said, ah, oh, but don't forget, Proverbs 16 says, grey hair is a crown of splendour. It is attained in the way of righteousness. And I sort of said, oh, well, that's a very convenient verse for, for people who are getting old, isn't it? But um, I'm beginning, you know, the older I get and the more that one or two grey hairs creep their way in, I'm beginning to see, see the wisdom in that verse and I'm beginning to think, actually, maybe I do subscribe to this after all. Grey hair is a crown of splendour. You see, what they're, what they're saying is that the, the older we get in life, the more we have to offer, the more we've experienced, the more that we can share, the more God has, has blessed us with an understanding of life and the challenges that it throws our way. Just before that, in Proverbs 4, we read, we read these words. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and said to me, take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. This is in Proverbs chapter 4. There's so much wisdom that follows this. There's so many, so many statements of truth that are passed on from father to son, from parent to child. This isn't just an, an isolated statement either, this sentiment that we should be sharing our faith, that we should be passing on our experiences. This idea of, of passing the baton is something which is repeated time and time through Scripture. First of all, I've got some verses, some verses that that demonstrate this. So first of all, in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul has been like a father in the faith to Timothy. He's seen Timothy grow, and he knows that Timothy is a young leader within his church. And as a young leader, sometimes it's difficult because there can be an attitude that, well, you haven't lived life. You haven't got any wisdom. You don't know what you're doing. You need to be learning from me, not I from you. You need to be following me. I'll tell you how to do your job. Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers. That was, that was Paul's charge to Timothy. Don't let anyone look down on you. 
And then again in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, Paul says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. You see, if any one of us thinks that we're in some way superior because we've been a Christian for longer than somebody else, then, then we're kidding ourselves because we are all, we are all children of God through our faith. We're told to humble ourselves, to be like children. And Paul reminds us of that in his letter to the, to the Galatians. And then again, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ, it said in some translations. Again, the responsibility on, on those who, who maybe are older in years to live the example. Paul has the, he has the confidence in himself to say, look to me. Live like me because I'm looking to Christ and I'm living like Christ. And that's a really tough thing to do. That's a real challenge, but it's what we're, what we're called to do. To have the, the respect, to respect our children. To show them not just, not just love and, and guidance, but to respect them as the creation they are in God. To have the humility, the humility to demonstrate how much we care for them. But also to have the confidence in our own in our own faith, in our own lives, to say to them, live as I do, because I'm living as Christ did. Now, of course, it's not to say that we won't make our mistakes. Of course we will, and Paul knew that full well. But if we can, if we can at least do everything that we can, everything that we can to follow Christ, to live a life, to share our experiences, to admit our failings, to be aware of our vulnerabilities then we have an awful lot to offer future generations. As we go through life, we go through a whole, a whole life of challenges. Sometimes those challenges are huge. Sometimes they're setbacks. Sometimes they knock the wind out of us and we, we don't know how to carry on, but we do. If we hadn't, we wouldn't be sitting here now. An age doesn't really come into this. It's, it's more how much we learn. How much have we learned from what we've been through? When we, when we stop and we look back and we see God leading us and we come to understand why we had to go through certain challenges and certain experiences, why some awful things happened, which at the time we, we just felt like the world was closing in around us, but, but 10 years on we can look back and see the way that God used that situation. When we do that, we suddenly realize that God has, has equipped us with a whole range of tools that we can then share with future generations. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever felt that, well, I'm, I'm getting on a bit. I'm a bit. I'm a bit past it. I've served. I've done my bit. And now I'm just, I'm on the home straight. I'm not going to ask for hands up. But you see, sometimes we can feel like that. And I know that sometimes, sometimes uh, certainly older generations can feel a little bit pushed out. But also, I'm amazed, I celebrate when, when I hear stories of actually the older generations saying, I'm not going to stand for that. I'm not going to settle for that. I'm going, to, I'm going to use this whole wealth of experience that God's given me and I'm going to share it 
I'm going to share it with, with those who haven't yet had a chance to experience life. I'm going to give it to them. I'm going to let them know my, my mistakes, my vulnerabilities, the things that I've done in life that I would change if I could go back. And I'm going to warn them. I'm going to say, if you're in that situation, don't, don't do what I did. Or maybe if you find yourself in that situation, it will feel awful, but keep going. Don't give up. God will get you through. Put your trust in him, because this is my testimony. This is my story. This is my song. We all have something to offer. I mentioned earlier the priesthood of all believers. And what that means is that we, I may be a minister, but I will come to any one of you and ask for prayer. I can share and say, I'm I'm really struggling with this. Someone said to me a little while ago, one of the things I like about your ministry is that you're prepared to make yourself vulnerable. Well, that's because I am. I'm just as vulnerable and just as flawed and fallen as anybody in this church and anybody in this city. I'm a sinner. I've got my weakness. So have all of us. But we've also got incredible strength. Because when we come together, when we support each other, when we gather together, we gather together in the spirit and the presence of Jesus Christ. And that brings us strength that is unbreakable. And if we share that with our children, then they too will have a strength that is unbreakable. They will have a strength of spirit. And we will be passing on the fire of faith. We won't be letting it go out because we're believing the lie that we're past it and we've got nothing more to offer. Our children are so important to us. Paul goes... Actually, no, Paul doesn't go on. Well, he does, but not here. Hebrews. Was it written by Paul? We'll do that another time. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews writes in chapter 13, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Money is a... It has no right, no wrong. It's um, an innate object. It's, it's money is money. It's up to us. Our attitude can be, can be right or wrong. And in the same way, there are other things. I was, I was thinking this week about what, what can you substitute that word for? And I wonder if technology has a role to play in this. As our, our youth, let's take off to their groups, they, they would have spent a lot of time this week in front of a screen. A lot of the time having a, having a screen in front of them. And for older generations, sometimes that can seem really antisocial. It can seem really... Um, it breaks down the communication. It's, it doesn't help to form relationships. Sometimes screens are blamed for, for a lack of social skills. But you see, again, we can set a good example. We can teach. Paul writes in Titus, similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. 
So in that, in that passage, we're told to encourage. We're told to be self-controlled. We're told to set an example. We're told to teach. In my household at the moment, this is a constant struggle. So this is a scene from Minecraft, a computer game. And my son plays Minecraft a lot. He absolutely loves it. And a few months ago, probably about six months ago now, regularly, we'd say, right, dinner's ready, turn that off. All right, we're going out, turn that off. And all hell would break loose. It'd be awful. What, you didn't tell me? I can't turn it off now? No, this is terrible. What? And no, turn it off, turn it off. And there'd be a real strop, and it'd be turned off. And this went on and on. And I mean, he's, he's, he's brilliant, brilliantly behaved most of the time. But we were thinking, this is, this is just getting a bit much. Are we going to ban Minecraft? Don't really want to, because we know he enjoys it. It's not a, it's not a sort of a, a, a bad game to play. Um, and so one day I sort of said to him, look, why is it that it's always such a... Why can't you just turn it off? You know, back uh, many, many years ago... I had a console, and you just turned it off when you were done. You couldn't save things. God, dear, oh, dear. He looked at me like I was from a different planet. But then he explained. He said, well, the thing is, Dad, with Minecraft, for months I've been... I, I've, I've, I started off... It's a, it's a game where you build things, basically. I don't know, some of you might be familiar with it, some of you won't be. But basically, you, you start off in a landscape, and you can, you can go fishing and get fish, and they build up your, your nutrition, and you can cut trees down and, and harvest them for wood, and you can plant crops, and you can, you can tame animals, and you can put fences up once you've built the fences, and you can start farming. And once you start farming, you can invite other, other um, computer-generated players to come and live in your village. And you build up a community. And you see, my son, he, he built up this community. And when he played on it, he really cared because he wanted to make sure that there was enough food stored for the villagers so that they wouldn't starve. He wanted to make sure that there was protection so that wild animals wouldn't come in and rip them all to pieces and, 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 and creepers, I don't know what they are, zombies. Mm. Um, <laughs> but you see, he, all these things, he was really concerned, this community that he'd built up. And when he explained it to me, I thought, wow, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And he said, yeah, and I've just discovered a mine where I can go mining for, for some sort of ore, and then I can mix that with so-and-so and produce this, and that will mean I can build this machine, which will mean I can harvest more efficiently. And, and he's read all the books, and he's really into it. And so when I suddenly say, turn it off, we're going out, he's abandoning his, his, his people, his, his little village that he's built that he cares about, and it's really important to him. And once he'd explained all this to me, I thought, okay, and what we've done now is we, we've come up with an agreement that when it's time to go to bed, or when it's time to go out, or when it's time to eat dinner, or whatever it might be, we say 10 minutes. And he knows in that 10 minutes, he's got to get back to, to base, and he's got to make sure that doors are shut, that people are safe, that everything is done, and then he can save it, and then he's, he's happy. Now, we do sometimes still have the screaming fits because he's stuck down a mine and can't find his way out or something like that. But, but most of the time, most of the time, because we put the effort into understanding, because we, 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 we wanted to cherish, we wanted to make sure that we set an example that said, we care. We want to understand why it is that you get so, so angry and upset about this. And now he's explained it, we kind of get it. 
his grandparents have actually started playing the game, and so they get it a bit more than we do. But um, uh, which just goes to show it's never too late to learn things. You see, it's so important that we set a good example to our children, to our young people, that we show them that there is a way. There is a way to, to live according to Jesus, but showing that respect, that care. It is important that we have patience with them. It's important we remember that patience is a virtue no matter what age we are. It doesn't matter what age we are. If we're patient with our children, we take the time to understand their world. Then they'll be a lot more willing to listen to us, to understand our world, whatever age we happen to be. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus didn't come into this world saying, stop everything and just, just do what I say. He walked alongside people. He said, well, if you carry on doing what you're doing, that's the path you'll end up following. But if you follow me, there's a better path. There's a better way. He never forced anyone to follow him. He never lost his temper and said, do it now just because I've told you. I don't have to justify it to you. He went to great lengths to explain why following him was the right thing for people to do, the right way. And it's the right way for us as well. But like Paul says, if we, can, we can follow Jesus in our lives, but we need to make sure that we're passing on the fire of faith, that we're, we're handing that on. And we can only do that if, if when we look behind us, that our children are following us. I'm so thankful to God that we have a church full of families that we have young children in our church. Because I believe in the church family. I believe in the strength of the church family. When I see children coming into this church and I see you welcoming them and loving them and talking to them, it warms my heart. Because it's what a church should be. It's a true family. I'm so grateful to God for, for that, that spirit of, of, of cherishing and valuing our children that exists here. But we must never take it for granted. We must never, never just assume that that is being done. We each individually need to take care of our church family in all generations. I was really impressed earlier this year um, with my own mother. Um, she had a mobile phone, which um, I think it ran on coal, and... Um, uh, it, it barely, it was quicker to send a carrier pigeon than try and communicate mo by, via mobile communications. Um, but then one day she said, look, my, my phone is, is, is dying. <laughs> Good. Um, and she said, I'd like to get a new phone. So I thought, okay, right, well, we'll, we'll look at, you know, the, uh, the sort of the basic models. And she said, no, I don't want that. She said, I want to get a phone like yours. It's just a, a smartphone. And I said, okay, um, are, you, are you sure? She said, yeah. I said, well, they're, a, they're not cheap, you know, they're a lot more expensive than your previous one. She said, okay, that's all right. And I said, you're going to have to learn how to use it. It's not, it's not going to be straight. She said, no, that's all right. 
And I said, okay, that's, that's brilliant. I'm, I'm really pleased, but why? My niece is 13 years old. And my niece, sometime last year, got her own phone. And of course, being a 13-year-old, how does she communicate with people? She doesn't write letters. She doesn't pick up the landline and, and talk. She just messages through different, different means. And mum had picked up on that. And so someone in mid-70s got a pretty decent smartphone and sat down with me and with my brother and with other people that she knew who, who use smartphones. And in a very short space of time, it was frustrating at first. The first couple of photos and videos were sort of at an angle and a bit fuzzy, and, and you sort of thought, oh, you take the picture of your feet. Oh, because you took the picture and then held it up and then... Okay. But it didn't take long to get through that learning process and how to, how to understand how to do it all. And do you know what? She now has a fantastic relationship with her 13-year-old niece. Why? Because she, she realised that she couldn't communicate on the, uh, in the way that, that her niece communicated... Uh, sorry, not niece, granddaughter. My niece. She looked at her granddaughter and said, I want to be able to communicate with you on your terms. And she just... She's never said it in these words... But the work she's put in and the, the attitude that she's shown is an attitude that says to, to her, her granddaughter, and will be grandsons when they get old enough to have phones, not for a while, she says, I love you enough to communicate with you in a way that you understand. What better message is there that we can send to younger generations? Because you see, it's exactly the same message that, that our Father in heaven sent to us. I'm going to communicate with you in a way that you understand, because I love you. How are you going to understand it? I know. I'll send my own son Amen. to be born amongst you, to live amongst you, to teach amongst you, to absorb all the, all the difficulties and hardships of life, all the challenges, to be subject to the, the, the mockery and the ridicule and the, 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 all the obstacles that life throws our way. I love you enough to communicate with you in a way that you understand. And in Jesus, that is God's gift to us. That is the equivalent of God getting the smartphone so that he can communicate to us. And it's a wonderful thing. And it's an example that we must not miss. And we must make sure that we follow. Now Paul was very aware of his responsibility. His responsibility to Timothy, but also to all the different churches that he had planted. You see, when we, when we talk about passing on, when we talk about experience and age and everything, it's not about the number. You can come to faith when you're just a few months old. You can be brought up and you can... Maybe never remember a time when you didn't call yourself a Christian, when you didn't choose Jesus, and that's, that's fantastic. And you can get to 20, and you've had 20 years' experience of living life as a Christian, of teaching and guidance and prayer. Or you can be 60 and come to faith. 
Actually, that 20-year-old will have a lot more experience to be passing on. The 20-year-old needs to be looking at the 60-year-old and and saying, well, I'm going to take you under my wing. I'm going to teach you because you're so new to the faith. You're so young in the faith. You see, age is just a number. But our age in Christ is so much more than that. And so... uh, a church family should work in, it should work both ways. There'll be things that our children can teach us. One of the things that I'd like to do in the new year, thinking ahead, is to try and get our children and our young people more involved in our services. Have them praying from the front. Have them, have them sharing and speaking into the life of the church. Because they've got a voice that is worth hearing. Because God can use them just as much as he can use any one of us. In Philippians, Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. Again, it's reiterating that message of of making sure that we, if we are expecting our young people, our children, or those who who are maybe not young, those who are young in the faith, to look at experienced Christians as a role model. We need to make sure that as experienced Christians, we are role models. Role models in the model of Jesus Christ, setting that example. There's a self discipline, there's the need for an acknowledgement that we, every single day, we can learn more about Jesus. We can learn more about him as he reveals himself to us. Because we don't have a choice when the time comes that it's too late. So often I take funerals and I find that I feel absolutely gutted Because someone who I sort of knew, but not ever so well, you suddenly get to sit with the family, and I say, well, tell me about them. And the family share this amazing story of their life and all the things they've done and seen and been to. You think, wow, I wish I'd known that. I wish I could have asked them all about that. I wish I could have learned from them about their experiences. Paul says in Philippians For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. So Paul's saying, I can't choose. I'd love to, I'd love to go and be with Jesus now. That'd be amazing. But actually, I know that while I'm still here in the body, I've got a role to play. I've got a role to play. And it's important for us to take that on board and to remember that because C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis said you're never too old to set another goal or to dream a new dream. You're never too old. One of the biggest, most powerful lies of Satan. Do you know what it is? It's when he whispers in your ear 
60. 60? Man, you need to step back. You're too old. Let someone else take over. 70? <sighs> Look, you've done a life of service. You've given everything. It's time, it's time for you to, to step back. They should be serving you. 80? <laughs> wow, what are you still doing here? 80? They can't expect you to do that. They can't expect you to be, to be serving. And that lie gets whispered in the ear time and time again. That as you get older, you become less and less relevant. But I tell you, that is not true. That is not true. As Paul, as that, that statement from Paul that we just read, while I'm still in the body, I will serve. The last verse of Psalm 150. You know what it says? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. So if you still have breath in your body, if you still have the energy to breathe, your heart beats, your eyes blink, your mind thinks, God still has a purpose for you. And part of that purpose, a huge part of that purpose, is taking all of the experience and understanding and learning that God has invested in you, all of the things that God has put you through, that you've, you've worked and battled to come through, all those experiences that you look back on and say, wow, I don't know how I did that. I couldn't have done that without God. Don't take that to the grave with you. Instead, share it. Share it with, with people in the church. Maybe with our children, maybe with our youth, maybe with our, our young adults, our families, our parents, whoever it might be. If you've got something that you want to share, share it. Because by doing that, the bonds that bind us together grow ever tighter, ever stronger, ever more secure. The fabric of our church family will, be, will benefit so, so much. Don't believe the lie that we ever, ever get past it and have nothing more to give. Everybody in this room has a huge amount to give. And by giving it to each other, by sharing together, this church will strengthen and will become a stronghold of the kingdom of God in our community. Sound good? Amen. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, Lord, that, that you use us in such amazing ways. And Father God, I, I pray for anybody in this room this morning who, who has been, who's heard that whisper in the air that they have nothing more to give. That whisper in the air that that, that condemns a whole life lived and says it's, it's done. Because, Father, we know that you are the giver of life. We know that you love each and every one of us. And we know, Father, that, that, the, that the, the, the child that we have dedicated to you today has her whole life ahead of her. That every one of the children in our groups this morning, every one of the, the youth, every one of us, Lord, we all have a journey ahead of us. And we don't know what that journey is going to entail. But Lord, we also know that we've all had experiences, challenges, times of hardship. 
where we've turned to you and you've pulled us through. And Father, I pray that as a church family, we can share those times, maybe retrospectively, or maybe when we're actually going through it, that you will use those shared experiences to build up others, to prepare others for what lies ahead, so that future generations will learn from the present generations, and that our church family will constantly be growing in our knowledge and understanding and relationship with you. Father God, thank you for our church family and for the blessing that they are to this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going I'm to ask the worship team to, to come up and to lead us in our closing song of worship. And then we've got a very quick notice before we finish off this morning. Just as our minister has spoken, we are all to praise the Lord. And it's not through us, but through Christ in us. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace.